Watchman, Air, Land and Sea, and The Moose Man. This is Staying In. Oh, um, are you right? Yeah, are you okay, Pete? You look like you're about to have a poo. How how would you describe Pete's face? Though? I don't know, but the fact he's been sitting in a dressing gown is this mm-hmm. is is the heating not working? You, I thought it was like, I thought it was just like a hoodie. You're in a dressing gown. Yeah, yeah I'm in a dressing gown, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like he looks like he's wearing the robes of a Jedi Knight. Yeah. Oh, he's he's not got the Willingtons again, has he? No. Or he shot Bungle on Safari. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Bungle. Oh. Um, yeah, no, it, this is... So I am in my dressing gown because I was a little bit chilly and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to treat myself, mm. get into my dressing gown, pull it all over me, feel a little bit luxurious and uh, treat myself, basically. Treat myself to a, dress, a little bit more dressing gown time than... Uh, than usual. Than usual. Um, because I look back at our history... Whose history? What a civilization! Uh, do you mean like the podcast or kind of like civili- humankind? The humankind and specifically okay. Brit- British humankind. And you look, you look at smoking jackets, right? Mm. Yeah. And whenever I see smoking jackets and cravats and all that sort of stuff, they're all just trying to keep warm, but they're also thinking, "Oh, this feels nice." And I'm sort of thinking that the dressing gown here could be a sort of substitute for the smoking jacket. Um, a bit like the, the smoking jacket for the concerned British citizen. That's right. Yeah, like yeah, I wouldn't like you know I wouldn't go out to Tesco's in my smoking jacket, but I sure would in my dressing gown. Um, I, I yeah, I just find it luxurious, and uh, sometimes I think think that's all you that's all you need, really. Would you? Okay, I want to try and find the limits of your yeah um yeah dressing gown wearing. These are the limits of where Pete is prepared to wear the threshold, or in what situation he's prepared to wear dressing gown. So, sure. answering the door to someone you to someone you know. Yes. Okay. Happy for a dressing gown. Happy. Okay. Answering the door to someone you're expecting, but you don't know. So someone's going to read the gas meter or fix a hole in the ceiling or. You know. Oh, okay. Well, if they're coming in to do a job, I would have been. I would be up and dressed and all that sort of stuff. However, if I know if it's like an Amazon delivery person, I'd be like, yes, mm. that's fine. Otherwise, I would get fully dressed for something like. I that. I think it's important that we that we clarify in these scenarios. Pete is obviously wearing his dressing gown. I think it is essential that we find out what is underneath the dressing gown because him opening the door to an Amazon man in a dressing gown and like jeans and t-shirt is one thing. Yeah. Him opening the door to an Amazon man in nothing but the dressing gown is a completely different story. I mean, right. we all know that Pete goes to bed dressed like Scrooge. Yeah. With like the hats <laughs> and everything. And a candle. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'd be, I'd be fine I, either with some Jimmy Jams on underneath or nothing on underneath. I'd be absolutely fine. And in fact, actually, when you open the door in your dressing gown, you get a nice little breeze if there's nothing... Uh, like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, essentially. Uh, not quite not quite as beautiful and sort of uh, visually provocative. Well, I mean, very visually provocative, but... The main problem I find whenever I'm in that situation is you you lose the security of the hand against yeah. the knot yeah so when you've got to take a package and sign for it at the same time yep. suddenly you've lost the the security the almost the biological belt 
Yeah, uh, you make for yourself by holding your hand on the knot when you open the door. Yeah. So then suddenly there's like capacity for open viewing. There is. And also the other person, the person who's giving you the parcel, because they also know that this is a situation, they they now feel like the heightened DEFCON level of... No, I just, I just figured something out. What's that? I just figured something out. Pete, the only reason Pete does this... Is that he likes that thrill? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you? Don't you admit it's the only reason that you're doing any of this? Is you like you just started ordering stuff from Amazon, just like, oh yeah, I've got to, it's gonna make me sign for that, isn't he? Oh yeah, they're gonna come and, and maybe they'll see something. <laughs> oh fantastic, here's those four bic pens. Anyway, let me sign <laughs> what do I need to sign? Oh, I, I appear to have dropped my pen. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I basically went for the longest time where I would be either, either, you know, if I, mm. once I'd got dressed, I was like fully dressed and that was it for the rest of the day. But I never really got into like loungewear. I've never really had loungewear. Do you guys have loungewear or anything like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know Chris has his, Chris has his scrubs that he wears sometimes. Yeah. I lived with four radiographers and they stole me a pair of scrubs from the hospital. I mean, these were clean ones. Yeah. I've got like, are they tracksuit bottoms? You know, the like the clothy. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. Sort of like it's yeah. like you've got pillows on your legs. Just yeah, nice, great, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Dan, where you at? Every year for Christmas, my parents get me a new set of loungewear, and it's amazing. I look forward to it every single year. It's genuinely one of my favourite things I get at Christmas is my new set of loungewear. It grows so fast. That's why. <laughs> that's amazing oh that's beautiful you see i i think that's nice and again it's all about taking that moment because again i didn't really do any of that but it's taking it's it's moving into that mindset of thinking you know what you know what i'm going to treat myself and just relax a little bit more i'm in my own home if i want to wear my teenage mutant ninja turtles tracky bottoms i will yeah Um, right, gents. First, there was the Spider-Man. Yes. Then Go on. we had the Batman. Oh, okay. So now we're going to have... Hang on. What's next? Spiders. Then if you if you turn all the legs into... If you put all the legs together, you get wings. That's the bat. Mm-hmm. But then if you... So that's, the, that's how the Spider-Man turns into the Batman. But then if the bat puts those wings behind him... Mm-hmm. The Raven Man. The Raven Man. Is it Raven Man, Chris? No, Pete. It's the Moose Man. <laughs> <laughs> DC present. Uh, and that's Moose with double O, not O-U-S, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> it's not a very delicate human being. <laughs> is this... Is this a oh I love a trifle? <laughs> is this a TV series or a comic? This is or? a video game that came out in 2017 uh, from Vladimir Beletsky and Mikhail Shyakov. And I've seriously, I took a run at your names there, and I do apologise if I've butchered. It's a single player <laughs> game um, which I've got for my brand new and still shiny uh, Nintendo Switch Lite, but you can get it Lovely. on uh, most consoles, I think. Um, it basically is a game which. Uh, is is centered around a myth that I know very little about, uh, the Finno-Ergic culture, which in modern day it encompasses aspects of Russia, 
Um, there's some Hungarian in there, but it's the kind of Finnish kind of culture, like up in that North Scandinavian part of the, of the world. It's based around Perma, yeah. essentially, uh, which is in Russia. Yeah, so that kind of that that northern kind of region, really. And it it does that wonderful thing that myths do, and I've become quite interested in these these mainstream popularized retellings of myths. I I, I didn't realize how interested I was in that when I, until I started reading Mythos, and I'm reading Heroes currently, and um, Stephen Fry's sequel. Um, I've read Neil Gaiman's Norse, and yeah, this this taps into another Mythos really, and you realize that there is a kind of a a mono myth where you can see similarities starting to manifest in their Genesis stories, say, for example. And you as the character, you play as the Moose Man, who is this mythical creature who um, has who, who flies and it basically he can move through the three different worlds, um, the underworld and the, the kind of middle world, and you can guess the other one. And what I really, really like about this game is that you could just play it a bit like Old Man Journey. You just move from one side of the screen to another, uh, interacting in a very light touch manner with what you encounter there, these tiny, very easy puzzles, and you just go on this really interesting journey and taking these very incredibly cave painting-like evocative visuals that you encounter, where, like, for example, you'll go into the subterranean cave and there's these chalk eyes that just blink open and shut as you walk past or into these expansive deserts. I've not completed it yet. I know, Sam, you have. So I'd be quite curious to know where it goes. Shall I ruin it for don't you? Ruin, <laughs> don't, ruin, don't ruin a myth. Is, is it actually just a man in a moose suit? Yeah, it just unzips it at the end. <laughs> And puts on his smoking jacket. But I'm wondering, like, I was a bit worried that it didn't seem to me that aesthetically its colour palette wasn't changing that much. I've got to that bit now where I go to this kind of expansive desert and it's suddenly become these kind of browns and yellows, as it were. But it mm. but it felt quite like white chalk on a kind of a very dark background, let's say. very A lot of high contrast there. But it's, it's, it's interesting. It's quite arresting, I would say. Yeah, that's the that's look it's gone for. I mean, I've put up some videos using the fantastic share button uh, on the nintendo right, switch on my twitter feed right, we get it at mr sam turner you can go and see those videos there oh, um, never misses a chance and uh, actually if you look at them it's a a great representation of what this game is able to do with its visual style i think for me the game has got like a couple of like little niggles i don't think the port over to the switch has been no i agree fantastic um but it has such an arresting visual style and it does this wonderful simple thing like the central mechanic of the game is that you press a to put on your moose head and when you put on your moose head you're able to make this connection which essentially is this world of myths and legends so when you walk into a cave as a normal person, you see all these etchings on the wall and they don't really mean anything. But when you put on your moose's head, suddenly like those paintings and those etchings come alive and it's and it's this wonderful visual interpretation about our understanding of the world and um mm. how when we try and understand a lot more about the world and the and the creation of it and try to understand this language, these things suddenly become alive and we're able to almost scratch beyond the layer. Mm. And just that simple method of like taking off and putting on this moose mask 
and how you turn from just a normal man to suddenly to someone who's very much connected with this with this world of mythos is a really powerful thing like it's very very simply like it's there's a scene where you're essentially floating amongst the stars and it's incredible and then you put on the moose the moose head and it paints a picture of all the um the animals and beings within the constellations it's it's demonstrating that level of understanding like some people can look at the stars and other people can look at the stars you know and have yeah, that yeah, yeah. real connection real connection with creation and being able to do that just by that little mechanic and make it such an arresting image is where moose man is kind of at its at its peak and also the myth is exceptionally is exceptionally compelling like it's brilliant it, what i love about myths is when it when it goes when myths go to extreme degrees to explain the the normal yeah so there's a bit in it where it explains why tree branches crack in the night and i just love that kind of thing it's beautiful you can you can see that you can see that child in a bed mm. who can't sleep yeah. or is scared because of the trees cracking in the night and so this myth has been created around mm. around that. This story has been embellished from, well, this is why. This, these two beings, they fight in the night, mm. in the woods, these two gods. I love that. And that's why they crack in the night. It's, 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 it's wonderful. I've been, I I been um, listening to a really long, uh, a really long uh, lecture series uh, <laughs> uh, on um, the world mythologies. And it's really interesting to see how many of them are a so similar like how how they all have yeah. this kind of root in yeah. uh, like you know just fundamental things like um wanting to explain how like why we have night and day or why we're here yeah. or like how we were given fire like how like lots and lots of those different um mythologies cover these different things and in really interesting different ways but also just to kind of see how also different and based on geography, yeah. those those myths actually are. So, like, you know, thinking about the Australasian, you know, the native people in, in Australia, seeing how they see um, how time works is very different to how the Greeks saw how time works. You know, there's lots of, like, seeing time as a linear progression is a very, like, Western thing, whereas you go and look in lots of different places in the world and, and it's all actually quite cyclical. And that's really fascinating. And I think that there's so much ground and scope to to make really cool things based on these myths. I mean, there's so many super cool weird ones out there yeah that stuff like this gets me yeah really excited and then have to worry about copyright either <laughs> christ almighty i mean i i i was i was thinking when i was playing it like our our video games the best medium to talk about to to like bring like those myths to life because it, there's just certain things that videos can video games can do with mechanics and visuals mm that no other medium can do, which in terms of giving you an understanding of how that how these myths fit into your work into the world and how it actually appears. I think their structure also is really yeah. is is really useful, right? So there's a there's been a post recently by Ian Bogost, who's a very, very well respected, um, works in academia in video games. Um one of the things he talks about is how games kind of 
unlike films, they keep everything in. There aren't really cuts. So, for example, when you're playing something like uh, Uncharted, in a movie like Indiana Jones, the the sequence would be very might be very quickly chopped together, and you would see Indy. You know, say for example, he wanted to walk across a room and pick up an object. He would maybe stand up from the chair, start to begin walking, and then then maybe the cut would be going to and going to the object and picking it up. You wouldn't actually have the walk across the room. Whereas in games, not very often you end up with um, cuts. Most of the time, there's a continual narrative, continual control of the avatar yeah. on screen, and. I think that that argument about games aside, um, mythology is very much about often the progress of an individual. So especially in stuff like Greek myth, there's a lot about Jason and the Argonauts. Jason yeah. has this huge adventure and there's, it's a lot about they do this and then they do this and then they do this. And it's all about a continual progression throughout a story. And I think actually you're right, Sam. I think games could do, can be really good at that because you're with that person for a really long time. I love that. I love that kind of that, that, that bleeding point where it's kind of what Sam was alluding to where like how, what, why the trees make that, the tree branches make that sound Mm. is that you're on the cusp of, something fictive but because there's it's it's grounded in something that is in front of you that you in, encounter on a daily basis it is like you you you're not at that stage where you can put on the moose man hel- helmet and see that hidden layer hmm. beneath it the, the workings behind it there's hmm. the greek myth isn't there of how the peacock got its tails i mean you could almost be i'd happily read a whole book where each chapter was one of those little short almost like children's stories narratives um, for example, yeah. my brother's got a book. My brother read a book as um, as a child that um, it's his favorite book. He hasn't um, he's read he's read some books, but like he hasn't he hasn't read that many. And you know, whatever you know, some people like reading, some people don't. Um, but the book he read as a child was "How the Mole Got His Car," and <laughs> well, that's a myth I can get behind. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, more of a modern day myth. Yeah, um, but uh, just the idea of reverse engineering that how the mole got his car, I just think it's adorable. And, it, and it's like it, like in secret questions for accounts and things, when it'll say things like, um, favourite book, he'll just put how the mole got his car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. oh, that's funny. Do you think any kids listen to our podcast like at all? Do you think anybody like... I mean, I wouldn't stop at kids, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What What do you mean by kids? What What Why is that the, the kind of demographic you're you're shooting for? Well, because do you reckon you know how like everyone's always like you got to get the the demo like ninja. You got to get the the ninja demographic. You got to get the people who are watching ninja what? play Fortnite on Mixer. What's the you ninja know? demographic? I oh, see the fact that you don't know, mate. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you don't know just proves that this is that's not for them. It's not for them. Like, is it a Fortnite thing? Yeah, it's a Fortnite thing. Yeah, I was I was talking to my nephew the other day, and I was talking to him about games. He's about, I think he's 10. I was like, are you still playing yeah. Fortnite? He's like, oh, no, Fortnite's dead now. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's dead to me. I thought I thought Fortnite was this, like, massive thing. Is it not a thing anymore? He's like, nah, it's dead now. I'm like, oh. All right, Dan. So in an effort for us to capture the youth, what, mm. what are we going to talk about? What's the new hotness, Dan? 
Yeah, what's the new hotness? Uh, well, the new the new hotness that he's enjoying, the game yep, he's so playing a lot of at the moment, because he does have a very responsible parents who will not give him inappropriate games. Uh, so the game he's currently playing is Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. I was about to say, that's a massive game now. Which it's is huge. a massive game. And it's not like the Plants and Zombies I remember, which was the kind of no. the mobile, like... 2D kind of left to right kind of strategy game. It's now like a yeah. first person shooter battle royale. It's mental. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that's that's the that's the new the new jam lads. That's the new okay. that's the new heat on the street. That's a phrase I've just made up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds sounds very cool. Well I look forward I th- to the Grand Force DLC. <laughs> and there's and there's Chris just pulling us back. Pulling us away from the ninja demographic. When Alan Titchmarsh and Charlie Dimmock <laughs> oh, no. uh, are commentators on the e-sporting <laughs> events that is the World Ooh. League. Oh, I've seen he's got a headshot there. Oh, <laughs> I don't think he planned that turf war very well, did he, Charlie? <laughs> and then there's a Cockney one. What was his name? Tommy. Tom? Was it just Tommy? Tommy. Yeah, I think it was just Tommy. 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 He's like Madonna. Yeah, well, sure. My way of knowing that I'm not cool is with my students um, where I use expressions. Like even the, the other day I said in a lecture, I just said, oh, no. I described something as, you know, art's oh, pretty sweet. And I just heard them whispering, some of them saying, sweet. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> he thinks he can get away with saying <laughs> like A like murmur that. just just ripples across S- the classroom. Sweet. Yeah, just, did like, he just say sweet? Now, yeah. now, do we think that that was them saying he said a word we use, or was that a like, oh my god, is this the seventeenth century? <laughs> like, yeah, the latter. I yeah. think the latter, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing. I mean, oh, I did, I Chris. did once describe something as dope, and I only said it once, in it, and I just felt that ripple. Throughout the room, thought, mm, not yeah. saying that again. Yeah. Also, yeah, the that. other thing you do, Chris, and it's become so synonymous with you now that whenever we have food together, we always take the mick out of you. In fact, it's actually gone beyond mick taking and become bullying. A shorthand for <laughs> if <laughs> become a shorthand for if we really if we really like a dish. So whenever we like some food, now we do that the finger slapping thing. Oh, that the... you do because you always because Chris always does that when he likes something. You're just like Chris, do you like it? And it'd be like, was that what Ali G? Oh, that was that was like high school. Yeah, that's Ali G. I can't do the singer slapping thing. What I'm actually doing is I'm just pointing to the dish to just that. You know, that's gesture. the thing. It's just you can't do it. So you're just there pointing to the dish trying to do something <laughs> that you can't do. No, it's like I'm whisking an egg without the whisk or the egg. Just say I'm having a really lovely meal. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm coming round to yours for food on Saturday night, so... Yeah, but we're having takeout, so... All right. What's the plan for when you when you guys are hanging out? What what are you going to... So you're going to get takeout. That's important. Oh, oh, yeah. It's the annual Turner Spooky Games Night. It's the annual Turner Spooky Games Night. Okay. We're working on a snappier title. How many how many kind of annual nights or days do you have? Because you've got War Games Day, War Boys. Me, me and Chris... Yeah, Chris and I have uh, War Boys. Yep, yep. Um, so once a year, we put aside a day to... Dress in the suits of armour. Yeah. Yeah, exclusively play War Games. Uh-huh. So this Saturday will be our traditional annual um, Spooky Games Night where mm-hmm. we just specifically play games... That have a spooky theme. 
We've got other, we've got other non-scary games to play, so I'm going to try and entice Chris and his partner around earlier on in the day before it gets dark to get those out of the way. Yeah. And then once the lights dim, yeah, and we've eaten Chinese food. Spoilers. Then we'll get our spook on. But we have actually got, as well as Medium being a new addition to um, our spooky games list, we have actually got a new game, which is a new addition to our War Boys games list. Oh, it's great. It's a great opener, isn't it, to the War Boys Day? War Boys. So War Boys. at the moment, we've got, um, what have we got? We've got Memoir 44. Yep. We've got V Commandos. Yep. If we want to extend War Boys into a weekend, we got War of the Ring. Yep, it's in the title. Hunt, Hunt for the Ring, and what's the other one? Uh, Battle of Five Armies. Battle of the Five Armies. So we've got like six great war games that that we play when we have a War Boys Day. But mm. the new one, the new one we've got, and Chris is absolutely right that it's a a great opener. It's called Air, Land, and Sea. Mm. And um, so, Pete, you've played um, Shot and Totten, haven't you? You played Battleline. Yes, I have. Very good. So you're very familiar with the concept of you've got essentially cards in the middle of the table and you're up against a single opponent and you're battling to gain control of those cards that are in the middle of the table. Yes. Well, Air, Land and Sea works in a similar sort of way Mm-hmm. but it's a lot more condensed. So in Shot and Totten, you're fighting over nine stones in the middle or battle line, whatever you want to call it. But Air, Land and Sea, you and your opponent are only fighting over those three. So essentially the three theatres of war, Air, Land and Sea. The artwork in this game is really evocative. Like it looks very sort of 1940s. There's like 1940s patriotic posters that they had around around the time. So the game is quite simple really each player has a hand of six cards out of a possible 18 they won't draw any more cards until the end of the round and you take it in turns to play cards down each card has a certain value and a certain special ability on it as well that may allow you to adjust what's going on on either side of the theater and at the end of the round whoever controls the most theater by essentially having the most points of value on either side, or win that battle, get six points, the first of 12 points, wins. So it's it's pretty simple. As in it's life. It's pretty simple. Uh-huh. But it has this wonderful, lovely little spice to the game where, as a player, you have three actions. You either deploy, which is put a card down for its face value and its ability in the specific theater that it belongs in you either improvise which is to turn the card face up and every card when put down as an improvisational card can go anywhere but it's only ever worth two points or you can withdraw you can say i'm not going to win this battle i've looked at everything i've got i'm just not going to win and based on the number of cards left in your opponent's hands is the amount of points that they will win so essentially, you can say say right at the start of the bat, I'm not going to win this. And your opponent, instead of getting six points, will just get one. Hmm. And then you can go, right, shuffle all the cards back in. Let's go again. So what is 
on the face of it, a very, very simple numbers game suddenly becomes this really interesting push-your-luck game, but also it's a game about deception and bluffing your opponent. And mm-hmm. and when we when Chris and I were playing it, I thought, oh, this is kind of, you know, it's like a jolly little thing. And then, you know, playing that card, oh, oh I'm winning that one. And, oh, Chris is winning that one. And then suddenly it was like, hang on. I've, it's too late for me to withdraw. And I know I can't win. Hmm. So I know that Chris is going to win. And it was at that moment when I realized that, huh, this, this game really has something a little bit extra to it. Like it really, it feels like it's a game that has really high stakes. The fact that you can actually use the act of withdrawing as a real tactical strategy. It's not just there to get you out of a bind. You can actually use it to benefit you, but you can also use it to stop your opponent from actually claiming the full points for winning a winning winning the whole battle as it were so you've got this really interesting two-player experience i know in the last pod we talked very much about like those two-player games being a very intimate thing and a very intimate experience and when you've got a game like airland and sea where it feels like it's got really high stakes it feels like you can be doing really good work in terms of like putting down your cards but you're always living under the fear that like my opponent could withdraw at any point yeah or i could withdraw at any point and when i think when you play a game where like the sway of the game can either really heavily tilt from one way to another but also it has this really like slow drift sometimes like me and chris played around where i just like won the first battle and i'm halfway to victory but like slowly but surely, Chris started clawing it back and clawing it back and clawing it back, just like because cleverly making me withdraw. I guess what I'm trying to say is is that feeling of uncertainty that even though you know in your that you've got a good hand of cards, the game does enough to just give that sort of underlying sense of uncertainty underneath that you're never quite sure what your opponent is going to do. And at any moment they can just like put the brakes on withdraw, And then suddenly you're in a completely different situation. Mm. That's really, really interesting. Oh, it's really crunchy. And the longer I spend away from playing the game, the more I'm thinking Mm. about it and the more I really, really enjoyed it because these cards have particular abilities. Sam said that, okay, you can choose to put the card face down and by default, I think it has a score of four. Is it Sam on the back or is it two? When you put the card... Uh, two. Yeah, it has a default score of two, but I put that card face down. Sam doesn't know what card is under there. He just sees a two on the top. And the reason why that's significant is that some of these cards do have abilities and those abilities might be that when you play another card, it may say, flip any card on the battlefield and that could be both on my my half or sam's half so i could reveal the card that i had face down as this kind of trojan horse and it's oh it's a six or i could flip over sam's big numbered card back to what is by default a two, a two. and also when you look in your hand and you see oh hang on i've only got air cards and sea cards i've got nothing in land well, that's, that's, that's fine because some of the cards you can play can allow you to move your cards when you play them in one theatre and move them into another theatre. So you're thinking about this as a spatial puzzle as well. So you're, you're, you're stacking up dominoes and you're trying to second-guess your opponent. Well, if I put this face down now, 
Sam may actually inadvertently flip it, thinking he's hindering me, but actually he's playing totally to my advantage about himself realizing. And to have all that with six cards in your hand and knowing full yeah. well, okay, if I lose this round, it'll be done quickly. I can either withdraw or, you know, wait it out and do it again, shuffle again. That never gets old for me. And I was really reticent to withdraw. It's like playing chess with somebody and then, you know, halfway through they take all the pieces off the board and say, I'm calling yeah. it quits. Because I think it's kind of plays against just general games in general. It's like I was playing Transistor the other day and I got into a, into a fight and I lost one of my powers in something that had happened. It feels like cheating to like stop and reload a save to go back and stop that from happening and that i think that sort of bleeds into board games slightly where you feel like you're playing against what the game is trying to do by saying i'm not going to win this i'm stopping it now and i'm walking away we're going to start this again like it feels almost um what's it called in video games where like rage quitting like Mm, yeah it feels like even though there's nothing there's nothing in the in the box or in the rules that that ever suggests like that but I think it's only when you play it that you realise how much of a tactical advantage quitting at the right point can actually do for you as a player, mm. where it becomes exceptionally interesting. And and it's one of those things that more and more as, as I as I play games, I'm increasingly both video games and and board games. I'm more increasingly thinking about. Should I be just like taking a step back here? Should I should I be really always committing and always like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing? Would I not just benefit from sometimes just like stepping back away from this and just going, right, I'm gonna let you have this mm. and just try and like think a bit more tactically and strategically about like what is actually going on in this situation i find that really difficult as well actually and all the time i always find myself going with like shoot them shoot them yeah that'd be fun that go for the go forward shoot them like fight them whereas like actually in lots and i lose a lot of games in a lot of situations there are times when i should have just been like fall back and and it's occasionally it feels like it's not fun to do that but it is, no. but it is the strategically optimal thing to do, and I guess that that's kind of where in games like Airland and Sea, for example, or tabletop skirmish games like um, uh, Burrows and Badgers, let's say, like it's actually a really hard thing to do. It's really, really difficult to get over that mindset of well, roll a dice so that you can shoot again, or make sure that you're always charging forward because we always think of progress as forward. We always think of of yeah. of doing better of like always doing actions whereas actually yeah as, as you say sometimes in some games you just want to be like actually i'm gonna let them come to me i what would love to know mm. all about what 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 well I, this uh, this is not a this is go on this is, put a question to the group what do you want to know about sam do the jingle sue the jingle this do is the not jingle, a, yeah, well, it's not a segue i was literally like no not okay, a segue hang on i'll get a note except uh... what does pete want to know what does pete want to know what does pete what does pete want to know I would like to know why why we might want to talk about Watchmen when that comic is like 30 years old, 40 years old now. Because the com- the comic is 30 years old, Pete, but the new TV series is about two days old. 
Oh, are yeah. they doing? Oh, they've done a TV series. Let me <laughs> let me put all of my preconceptions into my brain okay. right now because I'm telling you right now that anything relate anything beyond the Watchmen comic book, the original Watchmen comic book, I I just immediately want to ignore. Uh, okay. Like, so what is it? Is it a retelling of the original graphic novel? No, no. that's, okay. that's the is, important thing. It's not that. Is it the comics that they did? afterwards no is it set afterwards yes <laughs> okay we've got a winner would you like me to tell you what it is no i'm tr- i'm I, I like asking questions okay so it's not it's not none of it is set beforehand some of it is set beforehand oh for god's sake okay okay here's here's another question why should i care (laughs) like like what like what is it what is it that watchmen as a tv series that is not sort of affiliated with a comic storyline but sort of is i guess like what does it what's it bringing why should i care to any degree whatsoever and how does it make sure that it doesn't destroy the sanctity of one of the most important graphic novels of all time that dc refuses Refuse to stop mucking over Dave Gibbons and Alan Moron. Like, uh, okay. Well, let me first answer your final question, which is <laughs> there's subtext there, isn't there, Dan? I don't know Let's, let me it. answer your final question of how did they not kind of screw over the original work? Yes. Um, this is created by uh, Damon Lindelof, who in the past has yep. uh, written Lost. Um, and films like Prometheus, lots of kind of um, sci-fi, pop cultural kind of touchstones of, of recent years. Okay, very, very, right, yeah. very good writer, very creative, um, and a huge Watchmen fan. Okay, okay. Now, yep. what I'm about to say will make you roll your eyes, but Go stick on. with me, okay? Mm. He has described this as not necessarily being a remake, but being a remix. Okay. So what this... No, 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 no. See, the eyes have rolled. He didn't roll his eyes. It's just his, his, his head has just dropped into his hand. What he has said is the original work, the original comics yep. of, of, of Watchmen is yes. kind of untouchable. Yeah. That is canon. That happened in this world. It's... Yep. All yep. exists. No, cool. not touching that at all. Okay. What happened in the comics happened in the comics. The okay, film, he... Nothing to do with that. Okay. The film good, does do good. some different stuff, but nothing to do with that. So the film is not canon. So the series is set in modern day. Um, so obviously, uh, Watchmen, I think, was set in the 80s. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So that was set in the 80s. This is set modern day, so 2019. Um, all the events of Watchmen happened uh, back then as they do in the, the, the comic books. Notably, what happens in the comic books not what happens in the film because it's a fairly big difference at the end of, the, of those two. Um, okay. And it's set in a world where cops are now people who are hated and have to wear masks to protect their identity. Um, you, They live in a world... And I'm going to give some of this information. It's not spoilery because it, it happens really early on. It links into uh, Watchmen in terms of there is a terrorist group who use the mask of Rorschach as their emblem. Again, okay. feeding back into kind of elements from from Watchmen. What what the the writers have said is they are 
producing this with some of the same themes of the original Watchmen. It's not the same story. There may be touchstones that you can say, okay, that's similar. They're taking this from here. They're taking this from here. My understanding, this isn't overly clear from the from the opening episode, although it's absolutely there. Um, my understanding is that this series, rather than look at the Cold War, this kind of takes a similar view, but looking at the rise of fascism in modern day society. So it is right, doing okay. something different in the same... Um, way that the original comics looked at used kind of the storyline of the superheroes and all that story to kind of reflect on the cold war this is doing something similar what i would say is if you're going to go into this not having any information about the watchman it's not going to hold your hand i don't have a massive understanding of watchman and i there was enough i knew enough to get me through i knew who rorschach was i knew who as osmandias was i knew who dr manhattan was so i knew those kind of um those characters so when you saw references to them it, i kind of understood unfortunately i kind of read up a little bit before and i un- i knew what the ending to the comic book was which made the reference to to it make sense as opposed to that's weird but it doesn't absolutely kind of there's no previously on watchman at the start that you just don't get that mm. um what's interesting about the the whole show is the fact that it's not trying to remake the original it's not trying to make a tv no, series of the original show it's trying yeah, to make a tv good. series in the world that this that the comic book existed because those those are what happened in the comic book will have a ripple effect throughout the following decades and that's and that's the idea that we're picking this up 30 years later where is the world now um and the reason i kind of i i actually got quite more excited about it because damon lindelof is someone who i think in certain areas of kind of um geek culture has had been given a bit of a rough time i think he was given a bit of a rough time after lost because people didn't feel like it had answered all the kind of it had got so far and then they felt a bit cheated out of it and then certain things around star trek into darkness people didn't like or prometheus and he's kind of been hit around a bit and he released like a an open letter i'm not sure where it went i read it on i read it on twitter and it was basically a a letter to uh fans saying hi i'm damon lindelof i'm the guy who's about to uh destroy your your comic book that you love so much um this is my story and then he goes into this the story and it's it's actually a beautiful piece of writing i really it's kind of really was quite moving and he talks about throughout his life all these different touchstones of where the the watchman's uh comic book has kind of come into his life and such a close relation between his dad and the comic and the com- his dad bought the comic for him and over the years and his his dad was a huge huge fan who bought like an unmade um, screenplay of the thing that he he bought that as well, and it goes through this this whole thing. And throughout it, he's saying, "I'm I'm now 35, and someone has said we want you to write a movie, and I'm saying no. Uh, I'm now 38, and someone says we want you to write this, and I'm saying no because he doesn't he didn't want it. He didn't feel right doing it, but he also talks about the fact of his his dad passing and that being such a strong thing between them, um, and it and it. And it made sense, and it was a really moving piece of um, piece of writing. That regardless of how it turns out, you can go into it knowing the person creating it loves the source material and is doing their Ooh. very best to create something which will work for and for the audience of of people who love the material as well. He's not just making it because someone's asked me to do this. I've been hired to do a job. Here you go. It means something to him. Um, and that, I mean, try and find it on, on 
Twitter or on online social media. It was it was it's a really fascinating kind of just a glimpse inside someone who loves a piece of source material and almost is kind of scared about doing it in the past, but their their life has brought them to a point where it feels right for them to do it and it means so much for them to do it. Um, I went for a run the other day, gents, and I nearly drowned whilst actually being out of water. Um, whilst just running, I nearly drowned because the rain was so fierce and so turbulent. I actually had that cartoon thing happen to me where a car with a caravan went through a massive puddle and it was essentially a tidal wave came over me and it was I was so wet when I got home that I put my clothes in the washing machine and they came out of the washing machine drier than they went in. <laughs> I do like running in the rain, but um that that does sound like too much. No, it was rain. not fun at all. But it was all for a good cause. It's always, always good for a good cause. Yeah, for my own health, but also for the charity of my choice, because it's a charity miles update, Daniel Frost. I don't like that theme. Let's have a charity miles update, shall we? Uh, I'll mm. make it uh, short and sweet, but there was some big news recently. Big news in the charity miles circles. I think it's big news anyway. I hope you will agree. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, ourselves and our fellow team members have reached a mighty mighty goal this year we have collectively traveled over ten thousand miles and for me one i think that's bloody amazing so ten thousand miles a well done and a pat on the back to every single person that's right ten thousand miles yeah that's a lot of miles that's a lot of miles that's a lot and that also that's a lot of money for charity hmm what what's that the equivalent of? Like where could we have gone? Well, I I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you've never you've never asked me that before, Sam. You asked me the number of miles and you asked me the amount of money we've raised. I have those figures. You can't just throw these on me at the last second. Okay, so okay, so ten thousand miles is sixteen thousand kilometers for people listening outside of um our weird combination of imperial and metric you could go to beijing and back and that's sixteen thousand kilometers all right okay which is what in miles Ten thousand miles all right okay thank right. you beijing and back beijing and back well wow. that's not that's not bad is it we've done well did did anyone pick up some stuff while they were there or <laughs> a warm confident friendly pat on the back to everybody who helped us with this, if you put in one kilometre, if you put in, I don't know, hundreds, then, uh, yeah, beautiful. You're beautiful. Uh, Pete, you you signed for a letter today, didn't you, in your dressing gown? <laughs> I don't think. Did, did. did I? Was it, was it a letter from a listener? I think it was done. I see the how many hands? How many hands did you take the letter with? Or did you just open your mouth and say, "Place it here"? I I had yeah, just put it put it in, it in. <laughs> put it in. So uh, yes, I did. I opened up the letter from Twitter, 
which is at Staying in Pod. You can also do the same on Facebook at Staying in Pod and uh, at Staying in Pod at gmail.com is the email address that you can email us on. So you can do all that. And uh, we have one from uh, The Lone Gamesman. Oh, hello. Hello. At, at Lone Gamesman on Twitter. So here's the question. Are established IPs, intellectual properties, a good basis for board games, or do you prefer original themes? So this is specifically, just to break this down a little bit, this is specifically for board games. I will not accept role-playing games. I know, Dan, you were just about to jump in there. Um, And intellectual properties, we're talking about... Um, big brands, so for example, um, and specifically, pr- usually use a create a, a, a cr- something that has had a creator behind it. So I wouldn't class FIFA as an IP in that way, but I would class something like uh, Watchmen, for example. I think that 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 is a that is an IP. So do we think that there are uh, a good basis for board games, or do we prefer original themes? Well. Um, I can tell you right now that I, I mean, part of this is my job. So um, I think I, so I, I probably have to say, yes, they make great, they make great uh, <laughs> themes. But no, I, but I do genuinely think, so we actually do have a game coming out um, uh, at the end of the year. And uh, that is based on an IP. And, um, and I think the, that IP specifically works very well with the theme of the card game we're making like a a social deduction card game and it's based on something around that and so that's when you have like a a, a detective intellectual property and you match it up with a detective style card game i think that works really really well i also think i don't know if you guys agree with me on this one but like just taking an IP and slapping it onto something. So again, Sam's favorite game, Monopoly. Very, very good over at Hasbro at just absolutely not giving any toss whatsoever in terms of the IP that they threw at Monopoly. Do you want Mario in Monopoly? Mm. All right, we'll change all the places to mushrooms. Do you want? Do you want to play in the <laughs> Star Wars cantina? All right, that's cool. Mm. That's that's what we'll replace Mayfair with. Like, it's not that is bad. Not simply because Monopoly is a bad game, but just going, we'll just slap this license onto the top of it and hope that people buy it based on that. That's crap. Whereas if you actually work with the IP and figure out what's interesting about the IP, I think I think you can make it work. In board games, there are a lot of games that take something from an IP. But as you said, Pete, the one that the ones that do it really, really well are the ones that understand what those IPs genu- genuinely are about. So Battlestar Galactica mm. is a very, very famous board game, mainly because it championed the idea that you have a Cylon amongst you. Now, as someone who's never watched Battlestar Galactica, I don't know what that means. I don't know. I, I just assume Cylons were just a bad person in that universe. Yes, and... this this hurts me personally, Sam, that you haven't watched it. But yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> yes, they were a bad person. But, but the, yes. But it makes, a, it makes a good board game because Battlestar Galactica was able to demonstrate how, like, 
players can interact with other players and they've got hidden agendas. Yes. They are working for a secret side. And since Battlestar Galactica, that's been put onto lots of other original IPs. Um, but because of the strength of that idea from the from the original source material, mm. it really brought that ball game to life and, and essentially sort of pioneered and championed a certain mechanic. It gets to the heart of... Yeah. What is in like if I've I've watched a lot of Battlestar Galactica, and if somebody sits me down and goes, "We're going to play a Battlestar Galactica board game," and there isn't some element of who is a Cylon, then you've missed the yeah. point of the series. So again, it's that nice shorthand of, "All oh, right, okay, yeah, I need to figure out who the baddie is." That's cool. It's like what Dan was saying about Watchmen. It's like, are you making a Watchmen series because? DC cynically want to keep the license going and stop anyone getting any money or has Damon Lindelof gone, hang on, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between subjects and discussion topics that were in Watchmen beforehand and I want to use that universe to give a voice to something that I want to say. In that same way, take example um, Star Wars Rebellion from Fantasy Mm. Flight. That cat and mouse game between the Imperial forces and the bad guys? No, the rebels are the good yeah, guys. That's right. And the Empire. And the Im- yeah. And the Empire. Yeah. So you can see how with that game they've gone This is this is like the cat and mouse game of cat and mouses across the universe. Let's take that and use that to make the essence of our game rather than We've got the Star Wars license. Let's do, yeah. you know, Monopoly. Intergalactic time, um, Jerry. But there are actually, there are other things like um, Batman Spyfall and Batman yes. Love Letter. Sure, which yeah. don't really, no. that's like very much, we've got the license, let's do something. Flux as well is good for that. Like, to, to come back to the to the original question, like, do we prefer one or the other? Like, for me, pers- oh, for right, me yeah. personally, like... I actually don't care. Like the like original IP have has a a, a great flexibility because it means you can do anything. Um, whereas working with an established IP, you ha- you are set within certain confines, and 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 that can be anything from you know just well a Star Wars game is probably going to be a sci fi game. You know it's got to have that theme. You you expect a few things from it. Whereas an original IP where you've made your own thing, it's like well, it could be fantasy, it could be sci fi, it could be uh, horror, it could be an- anything you want it to be, and it can mechanically be anything you want it to be. But the 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 problem that original original IP, i.e., where you've made it yourself, the problem they have is that it doesn't provide that shortcut to yeah to this is what you should be feeling. But then I I would conversely say to that is that in direct answer to the question, I do prefer original games because like, I think I would love how X-Wing plays. I think I would love how Rebellion plays. I think I'd be really interested into Battlestar Galactica, but I have no connection. I have no shorthand to Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica. So if I subjected you to my Napoleonic fleet game uh sales of glory sam which literally is x-wing it's the exact same mechanics would, would mm-hmm. you be more tempted to play sales of glory or 
Or would you be more tempted to play X-Wing? And literally, they are the same game. They are the same mechanics, same systems, same movement, same everything, except one of them is 17th century wooden boats, and one of them is <laughs> is futuristic laser-firing airships, uh, spaceships. Well, it might not be futuristic. Actually, no, it's a long, long time it's ago. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Famously. It's older, it's older than oh, the Oh, God! <laughs> I think you're fine. But, <laughs> but I've found in some situations, actually, that it's not just about me, but also what turns me off some IPs is the fact that even though, even if I'm interested in the IP, there's no one around who would play that with me. Sure. I don't, I, most yeah. of my games are original in the sense that, I, for example, I own Burger Brothers. Having a, a board game, which is Ocean's Eleven, the board game, I would never pick up. Right, but having something that evokes the sensation of Ocean's Eleven, but other heist narratives is more interesting. And Sam's perfectly right. I've always wanted to play Rebellion, but a it's a big box, a it costs a lot of money, and I'm not that in love with Star Wars. Congratulations! It's another episode of the Staying In podcast done and dusted. This one featured Chris Darby, Daniel Frost, Peter Willington, and myself, Sam Turner. I want to say, first off, a huge thank you to everyone at Arcane Wonders for supporting the show and sending us a copy of the superb Air, Land and Sea. It comes very highly recommended by Chris and myself. It gets us staying in Pat on the Back. Talking of Pats on the Back, uh, congratulations to Peter Willington, who appeared on a couple of other podcasts while we weren't looking recently. He was on the uh, superb Link to the Cast and the amazing we're not wizards podcast recently so if you can't get enough of the dressing gown gruff that we know as peter willington then check him out on link to the cast or we're not wizards if you can't get enough of us then please tell your friends it's the best way that we can grow and get bigger and bring you the the best games and comics and tvs and films that that we know that we think you might like. Um, So tell your friends. You can also send us a question on Twitter, Instagram, email. All the details are on the website, stayinginpodcast.com. But that's it from us for now. Uh, We'll be back very soon. But until then, bye-bye.